This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Well, hey there, this is a very special episode of the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm speaking today with Herbie Newell of Lifeline Children's Services, and I wanted to put out this pop-up episode simply because we are talking about Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision that may be dropped tomorrow, Monday, we're not sure. But for those of you that do listen in real time, I wanted to get it out there um, before that part of the conversation didn't make sense anymore. Um, but most of the, most of this conversation, we are talking about what does a post-row world look like and what are pro-lifers doing now? I think you'll find it enlightening and optimistic and positive and enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson, and today I'm joined by Herbie Newell, the president of Lifeline Christian Services. Am I saying that right? I just... I'm second guessing myself. <laughs> children, yeah, it's children's services, but children's services. We, yeah, I knew we, there, we get that all the time. So. Lifeline children's services. I was like, I know there's something not right about how I'm saying this. Okay, so thank you for correcting me, um, yeah. and thank you so much for joining us, Herbie. I know that it's probably been very busy for you the last couple of weeks, and really since the decision. Um, leaked that Roe v. Wade may be overturned. It's been a little crazy for everyone in the pro-life movement, um, but that's why I'm excited to talk with you today about what's going on. And and as we speak, we're awaiting um, the decision to come down. We're not really sure when that's going to happen. It could be um, tomorrow, Monday. Um, do you have any guesses? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've kind of felt from the very beginning, even after the leaked decision, that we were going to have to wait until the last opportunity of the term, which would be next Wednesday on the 29th, which I think is the day they've said the opinions. However, you know, I've, I've heard some people prognosticating that with this third opinion day of the week this week on Friday, that Friday could be the day. So, uh, you know, whenever it comes out, I have a feeling and I've had a hopefully optimistic feeling that it's going to be a decision that is going to be the one that we've been hoping for as pro-life people. Do you think people have been, I mean, because I feel like it's basically been sort of, oh, we're celebrating, it's a done deal. Do you think we've kind of jumped the gun on that? Yeah, I do think we potentially have dropped, uh, jumped the gun because I do still think there may be a second way forward where the chief justice joins in with the majority and the opinion is more, okay, we'll uphold Dobbs, but we're not going to completely throw out Casey and Roe, I think that's still a, a potential. And, you know, I know that the Chief Justice is certainly not one to talk about cases. He is very close to the vest, but yet he has been very adamant that this was not the final decision, that this was mm. not uh, the actual decision. And so I do think there's still a chance. Either way, I believe we're going to see a majority decision that's going to place restrictions and limitations on abortion. And I, even from listening to the oral arguments, I, I don't think how any reasonable observer could see that the majority of the court was leaning towards some greater restriction and some greater freedom to states to, to come up with those restrictions. Yeah. Um, what was your thought when you first heard about the leak? What, what did you think? Where were you? I mean, it's, it was kind of a big moment. Yeah, so I was at home and probably like most of the rest of the watching world got a, a banner alert after banner alert on my phone. And I remember when the first one came 
through. I, I had to even look to see if it was a parody or if, if something was going on. It was unbelievable. And, you know, my background, my dad's an attorney. Uh, I used to go with him when I was young to the law school library in our town. And Hugo Black had gone to that law school. He was a Supreme Court justice. So I've always kind of loved the, the aura of the Supreme Court. So to be honest with you, before just elation over what we would see as a victory at the Supreme Court, I was just confused because <laughs> obviously this is the, the first time in history that an opinion has ever been leaked like that. And, you know, I think a lot of people may or may not know the nine justices actually have a, a pretty much a fraternal order with one another. You know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said after the death, death of Anton Scalia that while they desperately disagreed on their jurisprudence, while they completely disagreed with worldview, that they were actually very good friends uh, outside of the, the meeting of the Supreme Court. And so that was just the first thing is who would actually break kind of this fraternal order that they have at the Supreme Court. But then second was, I guess, the hope of the Supreme Court is least at least considered this option as an option, which does show you that maybe if this isn't the one that overturns Roe and Casey, there is still a very good opportunity that a case could make it to the Supreme Court that would overturn Roe and Casey. Yeah, now it sort of seems like, oh, this is in the realm of possibility, even if it didn't happen. But knock on wood, knock on wood, we don't want that to happen. Um, and I was also going to add, I did. I also heard Justice Sotomayor saying something, some really nice things about Clarence Thomas this week, which was, you know, refreshing in this time of division. It was really cool to hear her being so kind about him. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's the thing that I think is so beautiful about the Supreme Court outside of the other divisions of our government or the branches of our government. Uh, there's so much infighting in partisan politics, but when you really get those nine justices together in the Supreme Court, they, they have different views and different ways they see the world, but there's, there's only nine of them. And, mm -hmm. and it's a lifetime appointment and they take that seriously and they take communing with one another seriously. It's so refreshing to see, again, ardent people on a political spectrum being able to so cordially and even friendly get together. And, uh, but yeah, I, I think any looker at the Supreme Court has to see this leaked opinion as hope uh, because obviously Scalia, uh, or I'm sorry, obviously it wouldn't have been uh, drafted uh, by Alito if, if at least initially those votes weren't there. Uh, so while we know that that's not the final vote, we know that an initial vote, at least we're lending itself to that way, which shows you that the right case at the right time, which we hope and pray is Dobbs, could be the one that, that takes out this, this overreach from a, a court of 1973. Yeah, it's crazy. 50 years. Um, I just think every year of, you know, I, I used to live in, in D.C., so I've been a part of the March for Life. And, you know, you just think about these people that have been so dedicated to this for, for all of this time since day one. I mean, the March for Life has been happening since day one, basically. And, um, you know, there's probably people, many people who are pretty, pretty elderly now that have been, you know, kind of fighting this fight. And it, it must be, you know, kind of a beautiful thing for them to see at this time. Um, now, since obviously it's been drama since the uh, since the thing was leaked, and there's been violence against pregnancy centers, there's been like myths flying around. 
what are some of the like kind of like the worst myths or the kind of the hardest things that you've heard um, that may not be accurate that are kind of floating around? Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the most disturbing that that I have read over the last several weeks and couple of months was actually a, a report done by the New York Times. And on one, and I wouldn't really want people to go Google it because <laughs> I don't want to add to their readership of it. But uh, in short, the New York Times was basically attacking crisis pregnancy centers, saying that these crisis pregnancy centers uh, were peddling themselves uh, and didn't really even care about women. The interesting part of even the New York Times article is they contradicted themselves several times by saying that there are more crisis pregnancy centers in the United States than there are abortion facilities, and that most of the crisis pregnancy centers are in lower socioeconomic neighborhoods. And then even at the end of the article, it said, almost as if this was a negative thing, all the crisis pregnancy centers will do for these women is to provide financial support, diapers, clothes, and, and, and again, it was a completely contradictory article, but it, it was an article that was really trying to say these crisis pregnancy centers don't care about women and children and that they're only there for political purposes. And that has been heartbreaking because while abortion has become political in our country, the people who are working at crisis pregnancy centers, the people who are working in child welfare, the people who are working in adoption and foster care, they don't care at the end of the day about politics. They care about the end user, which is the woman and the child. And, and you can get, you, you cannot interview someone who volunteers or works at a crisis pregnancy center or child welfare organization that didn't at least get into what they are doing because they desperately cared for women and children. And so I, I just always cringe whenever the pro-life leaders who are on the, the grassroots movement, actually loving on and caring for women in crisis, are labeled as those that don't care. And, and that's, that, I'm afraid, is something that has just continued to, to go on and to, to, to even not just the New York Times, but, but from so many on the, the pro-abortion side and the quote-unquote pro-choice side, they continue to try to say that pro-lifers don't care. As a matter of fact, you know, I had the opportunity to testify here in my home state of Alabama on our abortion ban that, Lord willing, if this is overturned, will go into effect. And the biggest question that I was asked is, are pro-life people ready and will they stand up for women and children? And certainly we have to do more, but I believe we are ready. And I believe that we are ready to get engaged on the grassroots level and to truly care for women and children. So that's been hard to hear. And then certainly, I know most of the listeners and you've seen, I mean, just a display of, of violence towards life, uh, even, you know, some things that I, I don't even want to put words to that have happened out front of the Supreme Court Justice's house that are just so contradictory. Um, here we are as the life side that are trying to preserve life. We're trying to uh, speak out for human flourishing and the good of, of mankind, and yet uh, this culture of death really continues to be just that, a culture of death, and, and to, to risk life and limb and property uh, of pro-life people. It, it's, it's just a sad, sad day and a sad epitaph of what has become of this debate. 
You know, that too, of course, the denigration of people that work in and support um, pregnancy centers is, it's, it's nonsensical, really. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was just in one last week in my hometown and, and chatting with the director and, you know, she was the one to be like, you know, it's really about the women for us. You know, we mm-hmm. want to be there for her. And, you know, because when she gets, you know, what, what she needs and gets where she needs to be, then her child, you know, gets what they need. And it really is about women. And I, one of the things that I've been saying lately is, um, you know, instead of like criticizing these pregnancy centers, you don't even have to be pro-life, but you can still support Mm -hmm. them. You want to care for women and most women who are, you know, working with pregnancy centers, like they're not being forced to choose life, like they are choosing it. And so we need all the support we can get. So, you know, be pro-choice, but you can still support what these people are doing. Like they are the ones providing um, while the pro-choice side is, is just like yelling about choice and, um, pregnancy centers could be thriving even more if we had more people on board to support them. Um, and then, yeah, the New York times don't even get me started this morning. I was tweeting. (laughs) I don't know if you saw the article that came out this week about the girl who had twins from Texas. Um, you know, of Mm. course I immediately want to read that. It's got, got a picture of her newborn twins on the front article. And, um, I went through that thing this morning and was just pulling out everything it was driving me nuts. This whole thing was just completely, um, like, like you said, she was kind of trying to make a point, but it was so, you could see how hard this reporter was trying to make the point she was trying to make. And then so many of the things she put in there actually made our point for us. Like, you know, she's got a quote from the girl that's like, I hate to think what would have happened if, you know, if the law hadn't been there, like, and then there's a picture of the kids and there's just so much that doesn't make sense. And to me, it is so easy to debunk these, like, kind of like these lies or these, um, you know, things that they're throwing out there. Um, I just wrote something on this this morning, so it's like top of mind. Um, but, uh, to get to, um, pregnancy centers and, and what I know you guys have a big effort at Lifeline working with churches And from talking with people in the movement recently, I know that the church support is a real focus right now, and and it needs to be even more so. We need every church in there. So talk to us about that effort. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even to what you said, what the church has got to realize is we're standing on the truth. And the truth is that life needs to be protected uh, at every single moment and every single time. I think what the church has got to shift from is shift from only political advocacy and activation towards overturning Roe v. Wade and overturning abortion. And we've now got to put our boots on the ground to really to, to do the things that are going to help women and children thrive and survive, which, which might mean advocating for public policy on behalf of women and children that typically would not be on the top of your list. But if we want to see women and children thrive and survive, then we've got to see things that are going to give them better opportunities, that are going to help moms be able to to actually raise her children. They're going to be able to help her access the health care that she needs. Uh, you know, we, we can't allow our states even to have abortion restrictions and bans and then cut m- women off of health care after she delivers. We've got to have you know, postpartum health care for women. We've got to be looking at ways that we can do that. But the church is that next step. 
So if we really want to see public policy not be the answer, the church has got to come forth and say, we're going to help these women and children. We're going to invite them into our community. We're going to care for them. We're going to, to be there for them. You know, here in my hometown, there's a church that's been extremely pro-life. We actually, as a ministry, kind of grew out of some of the, the members there in 1981, but they have uh, staffed an entire OBGYN practice. Wow. And they are committed to women's health, both during the birth as well as after the birth. And there are times that they are just not charging women for health care to make sure that they get the type of care that they need. And then they're advocating for pediatricians to do the same for the children. And so we've got to make sure that we're providing that health care. But we've also then got to be willing to open up and bring that mom and that child in our sphere of influence and unlock doors for them. You know, the greatest poverty that, that these women and children have is not physical poverty. And yes, they may be completely impoverished physically. Their greatest poverty, though, is their, is their emotional and their, their, their relational poverty. You know, they don't have the people that are the positive influences in their lives who are going to unlock opportunities or unlock doors for them. You know, I, I like to say if, if, if my board got together today even and decided they wanted to get rid of me uh, and, and, and toss me out onto the street, I have five people that I would instantly call and say, hey, I need a job. I, I'm willing to do anything. I need to work to support my family. Most of these women and children don't even have the one person to call for the first job. And mm -hmm. so as the church, we've got to come around and be thinking through things economically for these women and children. But then we also need to ultimately, which we believe is their truly greatest poverty, and that's spiritual poverty. And we've got to be introducing them to the gospel of Christ Jesus, which opens them up to a community, which opens them up to, to the greatest help in the world. And we've got to let them know that they're special, that they are unique, that they don't need to be defined by uh, the man in their life or be defined by uh, all the things that this culture tells them, but that they are a child of God and that they can flourish as a child of God. And we have so many churches in this country. There's absolutely no reason that our churches shouldn't be the safest places for single women, pregnant moms, uh, and moms with vulnerable child to find safety, to find help, and to find healing. Yeah, I'm sort of like a, a message that I'm trying to put out there right now is if you if your church is not partnered in some way with a pregnancy center, like they need, you need to talk, talk to them about it. I actually just did this for my church. I go to a pretty small church, um, but I met up with the center down the road and we're, we've got a web page up now on our website with resources. We're figuring out how to partner. And you know, that was me, you know, a person that's involved in this and our mm -hmm. church wasn't. And so I know there's a lot of churches out there that are well-meaning and aren't doing it yet. So I would encourage anyone watching, like make sure your church is partnered up. Um, the other thing I was going to touch on that you said is the public policy aspect. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people we're talking about obviously are conservative. And um, I think that there is sort of a changing mentality on public policy. Now, obviously, we're not going to go like, yeah, universal health care for all, <laughs> you know, but but there is a at least a segment of, of the conservative side that is saying, actually, I'm willing to uh, support some kind of paid leave, or actually, I'm willing to, to support, you know, um, extending, um, I, I can't remember all the technical definitions of policy, but you know what I mean? Like there's more support yeah. now than there ever was, I think. And to me, when I think about it, I'm like, you know what the family, like literally it all, it all starts there. 
it all mm. starts with a strong family. I mean, I'm t- like every ill in society, you can trace it back to um, family, uh, a, bro- a broken family, essentially. Mm. And so yeah. we can, I mean, it's going to cost some money, but yes, those are the, those are the policies that we can sort of si- side off and say like, actually we are going to support this and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't mean it's not conservative anymore. And, um, and so I'm encouraging people to kind of open their minds to those kind of policies mm. as well, but it's a, it's a double effort. It's, you know, it's that. And then it's also, of course, the church, it's never going to just be the government. The government is the government, but people and relational, um, stuff like you were talking about. Um, it, it's so, it's so true. And I heard a woman talking this weekend and she was like, yeah, my sister got pregnant at 18. Um, but she didn't ever even consider an abortion because she had a supportive parents mm. and friends and church community. Like, so of course she didn't think about it. And that's sort of the term we're hearing now. Let's make abortion unthinkable. Um, you know, for me, of course I support overturning Roe v. Wade, but like, like me, you probably have the same mentality. It's not really about that. It's about mm making it unthinkable for women so that they don't even want to make that choice. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I know that's sort of a turn in thinking that we've been hearing more lately. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's abundantly necessary that we reach in and make it unthinkable for women because the truth of the matter is if tomorrow the decision comes out and it's, you know, word for word, line for line, exactly the leaked opinion, the truth of the matter is we're going to have some States they're going to have, heinous abortion laws more so than we see now today that that are going to to be the the most heinous abortion laws in the in the world like it's going to uh, circumvent china and north korea as the most deadly abortion laws so to think that just the overturn of roe v wade takes abortion away in our society it's just naive the other thing is you know, a lot of our laws haven't really even tackled the chemical abortion, which is now over 50% of the abortions that are happening in our country are are through pills. And so if we don't start taking this back to the hearts and minds of people, and we don't start strengthening our families, and we don't start reaching out to those who need help, you know, I I go back to what we were saying before, you know, I'm truly fiscally conservative. I think this should be a church issue and a society issue. But the truth of the matter is we know that for so long, the church has subrogated our duty back to the government. And so in order to get it back, we're going to have to partner with the government and and start to bring that back into the church. We're going to have to start to bring that back into community. But family is, is the number one place where children are going to thrive and they're going to survive. And it's the place we need to be inviting these children and we need to be inviting these women in. And so one of the things that, you know, that I've even been telling uh, churches is the first thing we've got to do, which may sound counterintuitive is we've got to have a vibrant men's ministry and we've got to be teaching men to stand up for their wives, to be husbands that aren't amusing themselves to death, but are actually loving their wives, that they are attached to their children that they are, they know who their children are, they're, they're investing in their family, but that they're the ones that are actually leading out them in caring for the single mom. And they're the one that are leading their family in caring for the, 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 the child that's in foster care. Because when men start to take the lead, we start to show something that's completely different. Because many of these women that are seeking abortion, they lack the support of a man in their life. The man who actually impregnated them has gone off the scene or may have given them some money to go get an abortion. And we need to be showing a different view of manhood. You know, for so long, this has been uh, called a, a woman's issue. And it rightly is 
a woman's issue, but it's also equally a man's issue. And we need to be holding men accountable for what they do. We need to be teaching our young men that are in our homes to treat women with the dignity and worth that they are deserved as a co-equal image bearer in God. And if it doesn't start in our Christian homes, teaching our young men to honor women and not to to dejectify women or to look down upon women, if we don't start teaching that in our homes, how will we ever start to see the culture change? And we've got to teach our young men right now. We've got to teach our young men and, and hold our men accountable to get off their smartphones and stop viewing pornography. Pornography is, is, is fueling every last bit of this. And, and we've got to do those things. And that's a first step. And then we've got to start caring for the women and children in our vicinity. And we've got to, even to what you said, we've got to care for our daughters. We've got to care for those within the church. And we've got to show that we are a community of faith and a community of care. And then, Lord willing, that will start to spread into our culture. When, when the church stopped being the, uh, the, thermo- the, the thermostat for culture and only the thermometer for culture, we stopped losing the bite of the gospel and we stopped losing our influence, which is the greatest influence that our country needs. And if we'll start doing that, we can truly get to a day where abortion is completely unthinkable. That is so true. It is so layered and deep. You know, it's, it's overwhelming to think about the scale of the problem, especially when you're, when you're digging down into that side of like, let's elevate manhood again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, ironically, I, I published an article this week that the headline was, why aren't, I think it was something like, why aren't dads part of the abortion debate? And I wrote an, an article about my own dad who, um, like I was an unexpected pregnancy. And so I, we have that story. And he actually always says to me, um, he, I always, he always said to me growing up, um, if it wasn't for you girls, I would either be dead or in prison because Mm -hmm. he was kind of like having this like aimless life and he didn't know what he was doing or where he was going. You know, he wasn't in school, yada, yada. Um, and it gave him a purpose and ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, he got it together, built a business, you know, he married my mom. They're still married. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a story that I'm sort of trying to put out there because I'm like, this could be someone's story. Mm. It's not Mm. always this ruins your life. You know, it's not even often, you know, that, Mm. um, but it can be a call to responsibility and a call to purpose. And there's just so many, um, positive directions that we could spin this thing. And so a story like that, I think kind of represents some of what you're saying, um, you know, restoring that element of manhood again, but you're right. Like ha- churches having really strong men's ministries. Uh, that's something I hadn't really thought about. And that's a really good point as well. Um, so I guess, um, you know, at this point in time, like say it drops and you know, it happens. What's the next step for Lifeline and, and for the movement? And what do you see things looking like in a, a post-row world? Yeah, I think as far as our action, it's not going to change really in, in the least. We're going to be doing what we've been doing for the last 40 years. We're going to be doing it with some increased vigor because Lord willing, we're going to have more churches and more people that are ready to get their hands dirty in this ministry that is, is so meaningful. And, you know, our heart and our prayer is is that we can see actually child welfare statistics uh, go down in the sense that there are less kids in child welfare and there are more kids thriving. That's a, That would be a beautiful ethic, and that's our prayer. And so we're really leaning into that child welfare stage. I had the opportunity to meet with a couple of governors over the last several weeks and governors with trigger laws, and my message to those governors was, are you ready on the child welfare side? Mm-hmm. Are you ready to you know, pass reform for child welfare, to make it easier for kids to find permanence, to, uh, to make it easier for 
um, families to come in and to provide a home to these children. And so our, our, our uh, you know, posture will continue. Just hopefully we'll have more people that are waking up to the idea that we need to do something and we need to do something now. Uh, you know, one of the things is we need safe haven laws in states where, where women can, you know, have a safe place if they realize they can't parent. They've tried and they can't do it. And we need to extend the time frame for women to do that. You know, while California mm. is trying to say uh, we're going to legalize infanticide 30 days after birth, we need to be going to the rest of the country and say, instead of infanticide, let's create safe ha haven laws that are up to a year yeah. that a woman can place her child without criminal prosecution. What, like, how is that even possible that people are trying to push... Like, how would that even work? I've heard rumors of this infanticide thing, but I guess I, I hadn't really looked into, like, how would that even work up to 30 days? Do you know? I have no idea, and I'm hoping that it's something that some harebrained legislature came up with, and it really will never see the light of day. But it does show you the, the power of, of lies and, and how they just continue to grow. And, and really just even the desperation of, of that pro-abortion side that at all ends, we want to provide the opportunity. You know, it, in an in interesting twist, it's this whole thing about personal autonomy in certain places, but yet the death of personal autonomy in other places. And it's, uh, it's just this oxymoron that we're living in today where we call the things and, and from my persuasion, it's very biblical. It's what Isaiah said. You know, we call good evil and evil good. And that seems to be where we're going as a culture. And that's why, again, if someone's listening and you're a member of a church, you're a pastor of a church, you're influential in your church, this is why we need our churches to be loud, proud, and vibrant right now, no matter what happens with this decision. We need yeah. to answer the bell because life depends upon it. Yeah, this is, I mean, I know that it gets like slated as a political issue, but it's really, it's not politics, you know, it's, it's, it's life. It's, uh, you know, this isn't like, we're not talking about the green new deal. We're talking about mm. human beings <laughs> and it, it's a, it's not political to support life. I, I just don't think it is. And I really don't understand how it became a left, right. issue. to be honest with you, because to me, the left who is, you know, sort of often, you know, they're the one, maybe you, you, they get stereotyped at least as, you know, caring more for the planet and things like that. Um, you would think this would be the compassionate side and it is the compassionate side, but it just doesn't make any sense. It, it but it's, you know, it, that's sin. That's, it's the fallen world. I mean, that's what we're going to have. Um, okay, Herbie, I, I feel like I could talk to you for a long time, but is there anything that, you know, Lifeline is up to that you guys, um, are, are promoting right now or anything that your programs that you're working on that you could tell us about? Yeah, 100%. You know, one of the big things kind of in the post-row world is we realize we have got to have a way to get women who are going through an unplanned crisis pregnancy, we've got to get her connected to the help that she needs and ultimately need to get her connected to the church. And so we have just recently launched a 50-state initiative. It's called Worthy. And part of what that initiative is, is it's getting women connected back to churches 
Uh, we're training these churches with a curriculum of worthy. It's a discipleship based curriculum that's very practical for what these women are going through. Uh, it talks about her self image. It talks about her self worth. It talks about that she's created and made in the image of God and that she's worthy. You know, I think a lot of times the pro-life side has been, uh, again, unequivocally launched or, or, or connected to the child. Well, the child's made in the image of God. We've got to protect the child 100%. No one's debating that, but we also need to be protecting these women. And it is a lie to a woman to say that abortion will help you or help you, you know, get back on your feet. Abortion does nothing but take your child away and absolutely, you know, mess with your hormones and mess with your body. It does everything uh, that is not for your flourishing. And so we want to help these women know you're made in the image of God, you're created, you're special, and you're worthy. And we want to get these women connected into these communities of faith. And so we're working with uh, a lot of crisis pregnancy center networks across the country. Uh, we'll be meeting together actually in July to, to really help launch this. But we want to make sure that all 50 states, uh, there are access for women to get into churches and get into a program that's going to help her. And so that's a big piece that we're starting through our maternity uh, resources. The other program that, that I'm just excited about, and it's a program we've been doing uh, for several years, but I think it's becoming it's going to become even more important in the post-Roe world. And that's a, a program we call Families Count, and that's helping uh, parents get their kids out of foster care. So these are mm -hmm. biological parents that want to get their kids out of foster care. We're coming alongside and we're teaching life skills, job skills, parenting skills. We're providing mentorship and discipleship, and it's all within the local confines of a church. And so if your church would want to get engaged with Families Count in your community, we can work in all 50 states. Uh, we can help you start to work with that population today. And we've got to be serious, not just about fostering and adopting, but also family reunification and reconciliation. Yeah. And then the third thing that I'm just, stoked about is something we called heritage builders and again it's a part of the local church but it's where local churches are helping 14 and 15 year old foster care who are at risk of aging out of foster care mm -hmm. without any type of permanent plan and we're starting to work with these kids to again talk about worth to talk about their image to talk about who they are in christ but also to teach them the, the necessary job skills and life skills so that they will not become another statistic but so that they can be successful that is such an important issue. I, I know that you know, and many people listening probably know the, you know, those statistics about kids that age out of foster care are devastating. And so it's amazing to hear that you guys are doing that. And, you know, again, like you guys are just one of, you know, I've been kind of researching around what other organizations are doing. And there's so many new programs out there. There's so many initiatives, mm. you know, people like yourself and myself, we're, we're just excited. We want to help. We, we are excited, mm -hmm. you know, to find these opportunities and, uh, you know, this problem will never, you know, be fully solved. It's, it's just not, but we can make it better, you know, and I, and I see you guys mm -hmm. doing that and I see so many people working hard to make it happen. And, and I want to get that message out there um, just because it is so frustrating when we hear the other side, I mean, it's just crazy. It's just crazy what you hear from the other side when we're out here just trying to do so much good uh, for women and children. So anyway, I could go on, but thank you so much for coming on to chat with us today. Um, really appreciate it. And, um, and everybody go check out Lifeline. So, well, thank you, Erica. It was a privilege and uh, would love to come on anytime. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. 
What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.